Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, the psalmist says that to fear you is the beginning of all our wisdom, that your word and your counsel is the key to all true understanding. If it were not for your spirit shining light on your, wor- on your word and shining light on every corner of our hearts and lives, true wisdom and understanding would not reach us. Please illumine your word and our hearts that we might come away from your meditation with fear and wisdom, with a readiness to follow your commandments and the desire to grow in true understanding. We ask it through Jesus Christ, our faithful witness. Amen. The Old Testament reading today is uh, Psalm 111. It's in your Pew Bible, page 614. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson is taken from Revelation chapter 2 and verses 12 to 17. This is on page 1, 2, 3, 4 of your Red Pew Bibles. So please turn there and follow along with me as I read for us the letter from the Lord Jesus through the pen of John to the church in ancient Pergamum. Revelation 2, 12 to 17. Let us hear God's word. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write... These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you 
and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, today I have two acronyms for you. I think in French and in German, acronym is also acronym. Am I right? So at least some of us will know what an acronym is. An acronym, of course, the beginning of a bunch of words spells something. Okay, you get the point. Okay, here are the two acronyms. Um, Ready? YOLO and FOMO. (laughs) It's a little awkward, right? Young people, of course, uh, know what YOLO means. Maybe some of the rest of us do. Um, I was going to have the young people tell us, but they're all skiing, I think. Um, So we can't have them in a chorus of certainty tell us that YOLO means you only live once. You only, do you feel old now? Maybe this second one, though, is good for us middle-aged types. Maybe for all of us. And that is FOMO, fear of, do you know? Fear of missing out, FOMO. I will probably say the acronym and say the whole thing from time to time in the next 20 minutes or so. I think these two things, the fear of missing out and this creed that you only live once, are connected with one another. One journalist that was writing about the fear of missing out about FOMO says, FOMO feels sort of high schoolish. And with today's technology keeping us connected, she writes, even the most popular kid in class can now feel left out. The thing is, uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out, is actually a clinical problem. It's a legitimate issue. There's been lots of research. What causes the fear of missing out that often paralyzes us or sends us into all kinds of bizarre behaviors? There's lots of research, and it's not new. Technology makes it worse, but it's not new. It's as old as Adam and Eve, and it was alive and well in the first century in Pergamum. As we said before, we're continuing our study today of the seven letters from Jesus through John to these seven churches in what's now Turkey. And these are churches that Jesus was calling to be in Greek martyrs, that is, to be faithful witnesses no matter the cost. And as we study this letter to Pergamum, we'll first look at how In some ways, the church there in Pergamum, and in some ways our church today, has resisted FOMO, the fear of missing out. But then we'll see how at the very same time, they and we today are also captive to the fear of missing out, enslaved by that fear. And then finally, we'll look at the one and only way that the fear of missing out can be conquered 
So how we've resisted, how we're still captive, and how it can be conquered. So first of all, how to resist or how the church is already resisting the fear of missing out. So as you read this letter, I almost thought I heard a, a gasp maybe when I read this or, or a chuckle. But if you were to write a letter to someone and it started, I have a weapon and I know where you live. <laughs> that would be a little awkward. In fact, they would do what? They would probably immediately notify the police. You're not supposed to write these kinds of things. And so it's a little bit awkward when we read this in our scriptures. And in verse 12, Jesus says, first thing, I have a really sharp sword. Second thing, I know where you live. Verse 13. But what he's saying, of course, by this is that he understands the pressure that they are under in Pergamum. He knows what it's like there. He knows how hard it is for them to stay true in a place like that. And so he's saying, I'm deeply grateful. I've noticed your tough, gutsy loyalty, your witness bearing when it's difficult to do so. But then very quickly, the letter gets a little bit awkward again. Verse 13, Jesus says, Satan has his throne in your city. And if we're not familiar with this kind of thing, it might sound like this is something an American televangelist might say on TV late at night. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, he's saying what these original recipients would have known. And that is that although not every local ruler had what they called the right of the sword, the proconsul of Pergamum did. He held the keys of death and life in his hands. And everyone in Pergamum knew it, and especially the Christian believers. Now, when Revelation was written, official per, uh, persecution throughout the empire had not really ramped up yet. But in many cities, like Pergamum, the pressure on Christians was beginning to grow. Pergamum, after all, worshipped a god of healing that had a snake as its symbol. There was a great altar to the god Zeus. There were shrines to all kinds of other lesser gods and festivals with lots of food to go with them. And then as the capital of its province... Pergamum would have also been the center of its emperor worship. And so Jesus says, dear church in Pergamum, I know that there are plenty of people who are making false accusations against you. They say that you're bad neighbors, bad citizens when you don't worship their many gods and attend their festivals. And I know your temptation to show allegiance to emperors and to idols I know that following me in Pergamum in a day like this is not safe. Now, you're probably thinking, well, Zurich is awfully different sounding than that. But I will submit to you that if you are truly following Jesus, even in a peaceful place with high quality of life like our city, to be a faithful witness day after day, even in Zurich, is tough. Why? Our culture says lots of things to us. It says you must perform and succeed. 
You must increase your influence. You must accumulate wealth. There's a temptation here to live for work. There's a temptation to live for pleasure and vacation and romance, to cheat, to hide your weaknesses, to fake your strengths. And so following Jesus anywhere, even a place like this, makes you different from the culture around you. You are committed, after all, to serving Jesus and your neighbor, not yourself, with your work. You don't live for pleasures and vacations or romance, but you live, if you're following Jesus, for God's kingdom. And as you more and more grow in grace and make Jesus your all in all, bit by bit, more and more of your decisions become Christian discipleship decisions. And all of this faithfulness can make you look and sound and sometimes even feel a little bit odd around here, can't it? Now, we don't know that much about this Antipas fellow in verse 13, except that his nickname meant, Antipas meant, against everything. And this was actually a common way that pagans used to slander the followers of Jesus. They would say, you don't come to our festivals and worship the gods that we do and eat the meat offered to those idols? You're against everything. We can't trust you. And because Antipas bore witness to the fact that ultimately everything was found in Jesus and not in the pleasures and the gods of Pergamum, they couldn't take him anymore. And he was put to death for his witness. And I don't know everything about your daily life, but I do know that if you're following Jesus, then many people are going to wrongly assume that you are against everything. They're probably not going to kill you for it. But let's face it, sometimes they will treat you as if you are dead to them. Because you're against everything, they think. And so hear what Jesus, through the Spirit, says to the churches of the first century and to us in the 21st century. He says, I know what it takes for you to stay true to me. And all that you have done to bear faithful witness, I know it. I'm honored by it. You are resisting this fear of missing out. And I commend you for it. We got a little break from Jesus saying, but I have this against you last week in the letter to Smyrna. But here in Pergamum, we read it once again. Jesus also has, in the second place, a problem with their fear of missing out captivity. This church was up to some things. And Jesus uses some symbolic references here that are hard for interpreters to totally understand. A reference in verse 14 to Balaam and Balak and to these verse 15 Nicolaitans. We don't know exactly what he means in all of that, but it is clear, verse 14, that some people in the church were encouraging other people to go ahead and get involved in pagan religious feasts and to practice sexual immorality. You see, sex was often connected with religious rituals in the ancient world. And so both Judaism and then Christianity came along and insisted that people had to follow the Lord and not their culture when it came 
to their bodies. But here's the thing. Things aren't that much different. Our secular culture acts in some ways just like an ancient religion, calling us to do what? To show our sexual, or, or sorry, our secular beliefs through our sexual practices. At the same time, our culture says, be loyal secularists. And in the same breath, what they mean by that is, be sexually liberated. And so like the church in Pergamum, we experience the temptation to go with the culture here. And if we give in, like many in Pergamum did, then we end up saying, don't we, just like they did, look, we want to be Christians, but we also want to have our other temples and our altars and our gods as well. Lately, I've been running often along the river, the Limat here, and it takes me past the uh, Landas Museum, right? This building full of all kinds of stories. I haven't gone in yet, but I will soon. All kinds of stories about how Zurich sees itself and its history and its tradition and what it wants to be in the future. But then I also noticed that right across the river from the Landas Museum is a pornography shop. So on one side, we have a monument to Zurich's past. On the other side of the river, we have a temple to our culture's current fear of missing out. We are so plagued in the 21st century by the fear of missing out that we, even as Christians, dabble, don't we, in compromising activities. And sexuality might be one of them, but there are dozens of other gods in our culture. We want to be Christians. We want to be good witnesses even. We say that Jesus ultimately is the only one who satisfies. But we are afraid of missing out. And so, acting on that fear, we compromise. And we end up bowing at the altar of the fear of missing out. Jesus wants to make us into new creations. But we tell him, that we're really just looking for something spiritual to add to our lives, that's all. Jesus calls us to repent, to believe the good news, to enter into the fullness of God's kingdom. But we tell him, look, that's great, but I don't want to miss out on everything else. Jesus wants us to testify to the world that in him we can have real life, abundant and eternal life. But instead we end up bearing witness to the world that, hey, world, you only live once. Do what you got to do. And the more that we indulge our fear of missing out with these kinds of you only live once sorts of compromises, then the easier it becomes for us to do it again and again and again. Until we're living a double life, faithful church attendance, sure, but more and more secrets and more and more and deeper compromises. 400 years ago in England, John Owen, after whom I named my middle son, just a little piece of trivia, he said this, and this is kind of serious business. He said, we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. You see, we don't intend to deny our Lord Jesus. But before we know it, with a little bit of compromise, 
piled on top of more compromise. We are hooked and we're addicted. And we've killed our desire to kill sin in our lives. Before we know it, we have hard hearts, hard towards truth, hard towards the needs of our neighbor, hard towards God's commandments. And ultimately, and most terrifying of all, hard toward God. And eventually then, you only live once is no longer just a silly thing that teenagers say, but it actually becomes the one and only belief that our hard hearts will obey. But Jesus comes, verse 12 and 16, and he shatters that falsehood with the sharp words that come from his mouth. And he says, there's no time, there's no room, there's no, there should be no desire in my kingdom for this kind of compromise. Be mine alone. And so the question for us is how are you, how am I, how are we enslaved still in some ways to the fear of missing out? How have we compromised our witness? And how insensitive have we become to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? So we've seen that there is some resistance to this fear of missing out. But there's also some enslavement to this fear that remains. But lastly, we need to look at the only way we can conquer the fear of missing out. What is it, after all, that we really want? What is it that our fear of missing out says about us? I think that the stupid things that we often do, the dumb attitudes that we often have, are actually really good signs that point to what we were really made for. The false gods that we often serve tell us a lot about what we really desire. And even this, if we look closely, they tell us a lot about how Jesus actually satisfies those desires in ways that nothing else can. For Lent, I've given up uh, social media. This is difficult for me. Because for me, after all, the fear of missing out looks a little bit like this. I don't want to miss out on a chance to connect with people. I like people's posts and I comment on them in order to say to them, I'm with you. And I post and I post and I post. Why? Because I really want people near and far to remember that after all, I've got something unique and valuable to contribute. I want to tell people that I am always a newer and better and more clever and funnier and more spiritually mature and more eloquent version of myself. I don't want people to miss that. And so post after post after post goes out. I don't want to miss out on a chance to have people tell me by their likes and by their comments that I matter. I don't want to miss out on a chance for them to tell me that they know that I count for something. For so many of us, the fear of missing out is about self-worth. Now, in ancient Pergamum, the fear of missing out probably had a lot more to do with a sense of economic, financial, and even spiritual security. Maybe it does for you today as well. But at the center of any of these fears, 
whether they're about our identity or our stability and our security, at the center of all these fears is the one same fear, and that is the fear of death. The fear that, after all, we only live once, and that's it. So whether we search for sexual or economic fulfillment in the wrong ways, whether it's power or respect that we become addicted to, we fear death. And that's why we're trying to get as much of what we want as we can get before it's too late. But as we saw last week, Jesus breaks through the lie of you only live once by his resurrection. Jesus, verse 12, and not, after all, the governor of Pergamum, has the right of the sword, has the power over life and death. And he offers escape from the fear of missing out by promising to be for us life eternal, to be for us all in all. And that's what this symbolism, verse 17, of the white stone with a new and secret name is all about. That's what this hidden manna is all about. Jesus will be for us ultimately an intimate companion and friend, the lover of our souls. There's something he's writing to Pergamum and to us. There's something secret and intimate and everlasting between him and each true Christian believer and faithful witness that is only ever between them. And this experience, like manna in the desert, sustains each of us in our spirits and souls and bodies forever. And we can enjoy the sort of intimacy and significance that we were designed for. That all of the cults of the world and all of the promiscuity that our culture offers, offers to us but can't really give us. And we can experience this in him. And starting now, And always. Jesus gives us here the words we need to repent. He gives us the words of eternal life. He teaches us to say, Father, my fear of missing out is wrong and untrue. It's based on this lie that I know your son has defeated, that we only live once. Everything I don't want to miss out on is ultimately found in your dear son that you've given to us by pure grace. And what is, after all, the reward for true repentance and the faithfulness that follows? Well, it is Jesus himself. Sometimes there's other rewards, but in the end, it's always Jesus himself. He is the reward Isn't it amazing that Jesus says in this same letter, at the same time, both, you have been untrue to me and return to me and I will be true, intimately, satisfyingly, eternally to you. Isn't that good news for us who are so prone to wander? We aren't who we were meant to be. But Jesus still calls us back to himself by grace, welcomes us in, sticks close by us, shares intimate fellowship with us, now 
and forever. Gracious Father, we pray that we would become more and more your faithful witnesses. Help us to endure the scorns of those who say we're against everything when really we're for them and for the world. Help us not to be intimidated, but rather to joyfully endure the scorns of others. Help us to live life with such abundant joy that springs up from our eternal life. That people sense we belong to you and ask us for the reason, for the hope that we have within us. Give us, therefore, opportunities to bear witness, to be faithful witnesses like Jesus has first been to us of your love, of your grace, of your willing, of your willingness to have us back, though we've run away. Have us back, we pray, once more, and make us into your faithful witnesses. We ask it for Jesus, our Savior's sake. Amen.